Hi everybody, it's Joey Remini here from seekingbalance.com.au. I'm a vestibular audiologist and I'm a neuroplasticity therapist with a keen interest in healing for chronic vertigo and tinnitus symptoms. However, I love all conversations about brain health and well-being. and today I have a very special guest who is a fundamental part of the Seeking Balance community. Today I want to introduce you to Kate Remini, who is also my mother. So welcome to the call. Thank you, Joey. So I have, this has actually been my most difficult guest to get on my YouTube channel. I've been trying to introduce, interview mom and share her wisdom with you guys for way over six months, maybe a year, because mum is a dance therapist and mum works with sensory enrichment with, with the dementia community and ageing people or seniors in our community who are living in aged healthcare facilities. And not only that, when I was a little girl, I actually was introduced to yoga because mum was doing it. And mum also started our community house in our little town on the surf coast of Torquay, which was a facility for people to get together and have shared interests. And that this has since been recognised as something that is incredibly important for emotional well-being. So having a meeting place for people to... Um, to make new friends, to have social networks, to get out of the house and to have a role and purpose in life beyond career or parenting. So there's a number of topics here that are falling into our neuroplasticity, wellbeing and brain health category. So we'll see where the conversation goes. But first of all, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy woman. <laughs> Maybe and, a nervous woman uh, talking to my daughter on computer. I know it is a bit weird, isn't it? But first of all, do you want to introduce people to just to get to know you and maybe how you got into yoga, how you were inspired to bring forth the community house and what well-being has meant for you in, in your wisdom? Uh, well, yoga came to me when I was about 36, I think, mm -hmm. or a little bit before. Um, I did a course in Melbourne. It was at the National Pastoral Institute and it was in adult education. Mm -hmm. And a part of that was that you really need to look after yourself if you want to reach out to people. So mm. I was introduced to yoga there, then had a family, and then with my third child, I thought, right, I've really got to get back into yoga in my, in my local community. So that's where I started with a wonderful woman here, and I've been doing yoga with Roz for 31 years years and mm. it's been an amazing revelation to me yoga because it is about the mind and the body and it's a spiritual journey too if you want it to be so that's how I got into yoga and I, I, I know that you practice once a week with a few holidays here and there <laughs> and so I think it's really also nice to break down the stigma that in order to do yoga or meditations which are really loaded words in today's community. You kind of have to be really devoted or vegetarian or live in a cave, practice silence, all of these really extreme things. However, I feel from sometimes in yoga we talk about being a householder, which means you maintain all of your daily activities, all of your parenting roles, all of your career roles, but you incorporate yoga into your life. And I feel like that's something you've done and you've committed to over a 31 year period it's like going once a week you've got your community you've got your friends and your body's got that sense of 
I suppose, coming home once a week. But what is your what is your weekly yoga offer you and your body and your mind? And and if you want to share your spirituality, uh, look, I think yoga for me is it's a little bit like going to church. It's it's a discipline, and it's it, it's something that I know my body needs, mm. and I really respect that for myself mm. and. Over the years, there are there are certain points in your life where you know that there are certain yoga postures that are probably better mm. better for you than others. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, headaches are a big issue for me, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm help I'm helping myself by doing some specific yoga postures that Roz has helped me with and Joey's helped me with. Mm. Um, so, you know, at certain points, if you tune into what yoga really is, you get a message, this is what you really need to do for yourself right now. Yeah. And going once a week just keeps that that discipline there. And as you say, meeting with friends is a really big thing. It's it's like a little community in itself. And look, I can, I can be... Um, standing at the bench and think, oh, come on, Kate, stand up, you know, do Tadasana and it's good for you. Just, just, you just find little things to do. Mm. And that's, it's not a serious thing. It's, I mean, it's serious, but it's not serious. It's just something you become aware of. Well, it's also beautiful because I've lived both in Melbourne, which is the biggest city in Australia, and then now we're in a smaller, more village-type community. And it's really interesting because in the city, when you go to yoga, it's serious. Like, no one's talking. Everyone's, like, really focused. And you go to yoga and you leave. Like, there's barely hellos and goodbyes. It's just a really all about the discipline and, you know, very serious. But back down at the beach, everyone's talking and giggling and going to yoga isn't going to yoga. It's a coffee afterwards. It's, you know, people giving you lemons from their lemon tree. And, like, there's this whole it's true village community. And sometimes I actually don't go to yoga because I'm like, I don't have the time. That's like four hours of my day, that one class, <laughs> because it stretches out into such a... Uh, a lovely interaction, which really is beautiful. And it I, is lovely. I have felt for Roz, though, because, I mean, she quietens us down. <laughs> She's had to learn how to keep us quiet in order to start the class because we are very chatty. It's, and it's lovely. It's beautiful. And as we a, respect her. Time to be quiet now, right? Okay. Yeah, bring it all in. So I'm just, I wanted to come back to that statement you made about we have to feed ourselves and look after ourselves in order to give. In your wisdom now, being having gone through the younger years of children and mothering and, and now you're working in the aged care community, so you've kind of been through a lot of life stages, mm-hmm. have you ever experienced that time of going, I'm giving too much, I'm actually giving too much of myself away to others, I'm burning out, I'm feeling this and I need to rein it all back in and, and start to look after my own needs. How do you navigate that fine line? Because that's actually a really big part of seeking balance and, mm-hmm. and a lot of the listeners will relate to that because many people are, are respite carers or they've got sick partners or sick children or disabilities. How have you found that juggle of self-care and the natural want to, you know, be a mother hen and care for others and all of that to give? Um, I, think, I think it's... Well, I think it's in intuition, but I think I've had help with that. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, I think yoga about as I say when I was 36 it's at a time when you're maybe leading a full life whether it's professionally or or within your family mm. um, and people do pull at you you know do this do that mm. so the old adage of learning how to say no mm -hmm. is a very good one but how do you get there I, I really think it was through yoga that uh, if I could say I'm a I'm a Catholic, a retired Catholic or whatever you say. I mean, there was a lot of guilt involved in being a Catholic. And I think yoga helped me to just just say, well, look after yourself. Look after, just, you know, know when enough's enough. Um, and I just want to reiterate for anyone out there who's not really familiar with Catholicism, my understanding of it, because I left the church at the age of eight, so I'm not exactly the best example. What did I do? Not exactly the best example of a Catholic, but I think the community, the religious community, put pressures on people to do certain things and to act a certain way, and it was like expectations, and then if you weren't living up to that expectation, there was this guilt factor, like, oh, I'm going to go to hell, or I'm a bad person. And so I suppose for any of you out there who were a part of uh, communities or had religious upbringings and there was all these expectations kind of dumped on you that you didn't ask for it can be very confusing confusing emotionally to know okay well do I listen to myself and what my body is telling me and what's true for me in my reality or do I have to listen to this external thing that's saying I should be this 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 and this and there's a conflict right it's not matching up that's how we can have difficult feelings of grief of shame, of not belonging, of not being loved or acceptable. And it can create conflict and incongruence within our mind, body, heart, interconnect. And that can really aggravate our symptoms and be problematic for our health. So I just wanted to clarify that in case people weren't sure. But yeah, do you want to speak forward about how did you go through the guilt and that transition of saying, actually, I'm more important to me than your rules? Well, look, I perhaps I better clarify. I still like the Catholic Church. There are certain mm. rituals and things that I enjoy mm. being part of. But in terms of for my own uh, journey in life, there were certain things that I really had to let go. Um, and doing that, I mean, it wasn't an easy thing to do, but sometimes you have to make a hard decision mm. and... You just have to let things go. And then dealing with the guilt, letting go is just part of the, the way forward. Mm. It, it's the first step. And then mm. you find ways to help you with the letting go. Well, as I say, I just keep going back to yoga. Mm. And, well, I don't know when to bring in my mantras that I've discovered along the Go for it. The way. Mm. Uh, look, I've... That will come into dance therapy. I did a, a particular workshop with a woman who was a movement analyst. Her name was, I think it's Sandra Luffenberger. I think now she's based in Sydney. And she's, she's an amazing mm. woman who believes in the body and what we carry in our body. Mm. And she would have us lying on the floor getting in touch with ourselves. I mean... The How do you do that? The cellular being, yeah. And so it was an amazing workshop, but 
that wasn't the only amazing thing I learned there. She was doing her doctorate in uh, movement analysis and she was working under some doctorate, I think it was Melbourne University, and she talked about the nine things that are hardwired in us. Mm -hmm. We can't, they're just there. You don't have to, you know, don't contemplate them or think about them too much. They're just there. They're things you have to accept. I thought, well, I've never heard about this. It's certainly not something you hear in the Catholic Church. And I thought, well, and so I was just, boom, what, what are they? And so she talked, I'll name them for you. She talked about uh, startle, which is the flight, fight, freeze. Uh, she talked about distress, mm -hmm. hardwired. She talked about curiosity, mm. hardwired. Fear, hardwired. Anger is hardwired. So, you know, why do we feel so guilty about getting angry? So anger is hardwired. Mm. Joy is hardwired. Mm. And then she talked about the last three, which were the most revealing for me, mm -hmm. was shame, yeah. hardwired. Uh, contempt didn't hardly even didn't even know what contempt was mm. when she first said that. That's so a nasty word, that one, isn't it? Very it's nasty. Stigma. Yep. So contempt is hardwired, and then disgust is hardwired. Wow. So I just said, "Well, hello, welcome. Here I am. I'm, I'll just have to welcome you in there. You're all here, and what do I do with you all?" So mm. going back to my. Um, Catholic roots where prayer was really important and has been in my life, I would um, put all those in a prayer. So at that, at that stage I was, um, I, I believe in God, but God was becoming a, a bigger picture or, a, uh, you know, other, other versions of God were coming in. So, hmm. I couldn't even name God. So my mantra is this. I'll, I'll take you through it. In your, in your startle, come. In your startle, thank you. In your distress, come. In your distress, thank you. In your curiosity, come. In your curiosity, thank you. Now, that's my meditation. I go through all of that um, and, lift, and, li and, lift, and lift it up. I mean, I have expanded on that, but I'll, I'll leave that with you. The other thing I could say is that, um, well, it'll take me forever, but I've got, I've got the alphabet. In the alphabet, I have all the things with A that I want to lift up. So I'll just do A for you. And by lift up, I think you mean cultivate, don't you? It's to lift up and to let go because I believe the universe is out there to also help me to be a better person. Mm. So I don't try to dictate it. I just lift it up. So I'm just going to do A for you. So A is in your, it's, it's in your awareness come, in your awareness thank you but I'll just name the others and you can understand how I do it. So awareness, um, attunement, which mm. is a therapeutic term, yep. affiliation, which is a group affiliation term, um, affirmation for myself and others, mm. acknowledgement for myself and others, appreciation, 
um, acceptance. acceptance is there. Um, that might be... Or is one I use, A-W-E. Oh, okay. Well, there's a good one. And sometimes mm. you... You just keep your ears open and say, oh, there's another A, one I can lift up. Mm. Um, so it's always, a, it's always a work in progress. Mm. And I sit. Sometimes I'm not even sitting, I'm walking. And I'll choose a letter of the alphabet and go for it. Or it depends how I'm going, how I'm feeling. What do I need to pray about today? So if I'm feeling angry and I can feel angry, um, I will talk about, you know, lift that up and well, things. This is so beautiful and thank you for sharing. And for those clients who have worked with me in private therapy, we do a lot of work on becoming friends with our emotions and learning how to travel the journey of being a colourful, emotional, connected human being. And as tribal people way back when through our evolutionary period, shame, disgust, contempt, anger, these were all natural, normal emotions that we needed to keep a tight tribal community. So if, yeah, so if people were not really abiding by the tribal laws, that community could be fractured and disintegrate. So, you know, for killing someone or um, being violent or, you know, crossing over people's boundaries, that would bring in emotions of shame for the purpose of saying, oh, I shouldn't do that. And so it was kind of a way of governing and keeping community. And so we still have all of these emotions hardwired into us. Children, unfortunately, you know, will begin to feel shame. We're not born feeling it, but as we grow into life and learn about rules and what's expected or not expected, we get the guilts and the shame and all of that. So look, it is normal. However, it is not normal to live with it forever, permanently, 24-7. So they flow into us and we experience it. We say, hello, come, yes, thank you, and then we can transition to it. And you can get help with that. So the sexual abuse, I mean, we're not going to go into that, but that's that's where shame has been a huge issue for victims. Globally, absolutely. And they need help with that. Yeah, Yeah, it's devastating. So I wanted to share a little story. My first experience of dance therapy was actually in a pub in Melbourne with mum soon after I finished my yoga teaching exams. And um, I think we'd had a mother-daughter day. We'd gone to get facials or something. And I said to mum, look, I'm actually experiencing a lot of anger. I didn't like the way I was treated by some elders in my perceived community. And I just felt all this injustice and like full-on anger and it was so big inside of me I didn't know what to do with the anger and I had never felt it before it was a new feeling and I felt I basically had feelings like I wanted to be nurtured and supported and encouraged and mentored but instead I was kind of being wronged and abnormalized and shamed and I was just like this is not on like this is killing my spirit who does that and so I was super angry and what I did previous to talking to mum was I, in, I asked five trusted people in my community who I really admired and said, how do you deal with anger? I have no idea what to do. Can you teach me? And so somebody said I write it down in my journal. Somebody else said I wind down the car window and scream at the top of my lugs down a highway. Somebody else said they got pots and pans from the kitchen and started banging the couch. Anyway, so I was getting all of these hot tips, but nothing really resonated with me. It wasn't my process of anger resolution. So I was still stuck. Told mum, I didn't really know much about dance therapy at that point, and I wasn't particularly interested either, to be honest. You know, it's just what mum did. 
But mum said, look, if it interests you, I'll give you a little process. You can take it or leave it. And she said, she, she took me through a process of describing my anger in terms of how it felt in a movement. Was it up and down? Was it wide? Was it long? What did, where did I feel the anger was? What did I want to do with it? And I, my big fear was actually that my anger would hurt somebody else. So I could see it in me, but I didn't know what, where it was going to go. Like it was frightening and I didn't know if it was going to make me like a dangerous person. So anyway, mum said, pick music that matches your anger. So I picked this crazy East African clangy dangy music and I went home and it was a pretty exhausting process, but I danced through first of all, collecting up all of my anger, which from memory, I think it was like autumn leaves on the ground and I had to collect it all up because it was scattered everywhere. And then I decided I wanted to bury it. So I had to dig a hole and bury my anger. That was kind of how it felt to me. I was so tired after collecting all of my anger that I had to go to bed and have an intermission, wake up the next day in the morning, put the music back on, then dig my hole, collect my anger and bury it. So I did all of this on my own privately, probably wearing my pajamas. And honestly, I tell you, by the time I'd patted down my imaginary hole and buried my imaginary anger, I just felt it lift. Like I actually felt it leave my body. It was a tangible feeling of relief and calm and I rang mum and said oh my god it worked like you know and after trying all of these things to get rid of my anger it was quite miraculous for me so I've personally felt the power of dance therapy and how moving through an emotion with conscious awareness and intent can really shift deep difficult emotions so I just wanted to share that story with you all in case there are any of you out there feeling a bit stuck and going talk therapy doesn't work for me or ignoring it's not working and you know medication's not working there are so many avenues to healing and every human is so different that you know your special recipe of what's going to help you achieve your well-being is something you've got to figure out for yourself it's a such a personal journey so coming back into dance therapy do you want to share a little bit about how you use it with the our elderly elders and community and maybe share how you incorporate you know um feathers and ribbons and piano playing okay. and just that sensory enrichment to really fire the brain in, in sensory enrichment? Um, yes. With the older people, where, and where I'm talking especially about people with dementia, mm. um, music is the last thing that leaves. So amazing. I have... I've, I've been fortunate with my upbringing in that I've come from a musical family we don't do it professionally, but being an Irish family, um, there's lots of singing, and especially in the kitchen. So the boys did the washing up. My six brothers, they did the washing up and sang. So as a little girl, they're all older than me. Uh, I would hear them and copy them and do all of that. And there was lots of movement and lots of joy in the kitchen around doing washing up dishes for well, it could be up to 11 people because there were nine children and two and our parents. So the music was there, the singing was there. So when I, I was sought out to help out or to create a program in an aged care facility that was music therapy. And so I, I went in, I agreed that I would do that. Um, but... I, did, I wasn't trained as a music therapist, so I always felt that uh, I was not, qu 
quite qualified. So in in the singing, singing songs in front of say aged people, I noted that you know they're just sitting and listening to me, and I didn't really want that. That's not really part of. That's not engagement. Mm. So I thought maybe we need movement. So I. Um, Engagement with movement means that you, you've got to look people in the eye, somehow use your body to move forward and to engage with them. Mm. So I did that and I noticed that that brought movement for them because I was engaging with them. So I explored um, whether there was something about that sort of a thing, dance movement therapy for, for myself so I'd be better qualified and, and to actually help with the work I was doing. So I did that and I did that. I did a part-time graduate course, postgraduate for two years. Mm. So then I came back and it was just, it was just a, um, an amazing difference. Like my body was freer when I was singing. Mm. I've got a ukulele. I chose a ukulele rather than a guitar because a ukulele is much smaller. You can walk around and you can move with your ukulele mm. and you can engage, move forward, move back. Uh, or you don't have to use a ukulele. You can just use your voice and you've got your body to move around with. You indirectly engage with people or directly, depending on the cues you get from people. Um, and, and, and I just want to clarify there, some people don't like their personal space invaded and don't like to be touched. So if you are working with a family member with dementia, sometimes you have to be very sensitive to what they're okay with. So you might be standing further away or using, you know, colourful tea towels or things to help get them looking and engaged, but they might not want you necessarily patting them on the shoulder and other people love to be touched. So that's the direct and indirect. Yes. Um, so one of the things I always like to start my sessions with, which is a group session, I really do like to use touch, but I call it um, I don't I call it like musical rhythmic massage. So you put on a piece of rhythmic music, and then you literally touch people in time with the music across the shoulders, and you ask if that, if that's okay. But I'm now familiar with my clients, so I know that's how that's my first engagement with them. Mm. Uh, and it's eye contact, facial expression. I ask them, how are, how, how are you today? So there's, there's contact. Then after that, there's a, that's the bonding of the group. Mm. We're all doing the same thing. That, and then I can start a session. I can use, as Joey said, I can use, I use singing, known songs, old songs, let them do the singing, I do the playing. Uh, and we the, can use props, like I can use, um, what are those things you clean bathrooms with? Sponges, you know those colourful sponge oh, yes. things. We can use those as self-massage. Mm. So again, this is all the sensory enrichment. They're getting familiar old songs, like think about old Beatles music or even earlier, that their brain is firing. Like, oh, I remember this, I remember this. And so lyrics will come to them. And for people who can sometimes not remember their family members and so they're living in this very confused space of kind of knowing they're forgetful and not they can fall into this gorgeous polite kind of 
faking it, like just a lot of vacant nodding. And so when things come that they actually recognise, it's exciting for them. And so the music and and if there's very simple movements that they can echo and, and copy in the present moment, it really puts them in their element of using all the functional neuro capacity that they have because there has been damage and there is forgetfulness, but there's still so much that's working. And now the other thing that I do is um, rhythmic movement with them, but it's... <laughs> I call it semi-directing. So it's like a collaborative, it's like a collaborative routine. That choreography. Choreo choreography. Um, so I will name body parts. You know, well, how can we move our arms? Give me some arm movements. And you have to assume that someone's going to come up with something. So they do. So I immediately notice what they're doing. So... Um, uh, so arm movements usually starts with a clap or something, or then I'll say, what about shoulders? How can we move our shoulders? So they'll start you know, going up like that and we can go like that. So I have to remember what they give me and then I will semi-direct and we'll put it through a routine. That's wonderful. Um, We've got this. We've got this trick. If we forget, as in, if I forget what the routine is, we start clapping and say, "Oh, let's have a clap now." And then I start to remember what what the movement is. But we, you know, we use elbows and uh, are some people sitting in chairs? And, and, and most people are sitting in chairs. Yes. So we can start with the upper body, then we'll go to the lower body and moving feet. And and can I ask move. for some of these older people who are well over eighty? I imagine. Mm -hmm. Are they, is this one of the rare times in their week where they're actually touched and they're actually engaged with at that intimate level? Uh, not, or, I'm not, I can't really clarify that, not, but um, I'd say it could be for some, but there's a lot of uh, physios now who are engaged in aged care facilities and um, a, a family member can ask for the, for mm. the physio to work with, an, with the client. Um, I'm not sure if it comes in their package. All of that, I, I don't really understand. I'm not going to comment. But well, I know I went in. Touch is, touch mm. is an important part of I'm, the therapy at yeah. any level, whether it's dance therapy or... Yeah, you know. getting, getting that sense of connection, yeah. human connection. Yeah. I know when um, my grandma was in hospital, um, she's passed away now, but I brought my guitar in. I'd written her a song, and so here I am in the hospital with my guitar. And the nurses grabbed me and said, Can you please go over here? There's a man with no family, and he's loving your guitar. And it was like this kind of yearning for connection with the outer world because he didn't have mm. anybody else. And yeah. so it is a, a beautiful offering if any of you are able to visit our senior homes or anything. Mm. And the, the other thing that I've discovered is. I cannot play the piano, I can't read music at all, but I've, as I said, I'm musical and I've got rhythm. But I did a jazz piano course many years ago, hoping I could learn how to play the piano without reading music. And in that, I did learn some tricks. And um, she can play the piano, by the way. Yeah, I can play the piano, but uh, anyway, by ear. Um, so I did learn some tricks and I thought, I, I, learned, I learned a trick about, if you know anything about the piano, about the descending scale and I could make sense in C major, going down from C to C. Which is all the white notes, no, no black keys, all the white ones. 
and creating a rhythm by playing chords on that on the descending scale I thought I if I've got musical um, residents here who have um, mm. any musical ability or maybe not any musical ability I don't know this is an experiment I'm going to invite people to come and sit up next to me on the piano and I'll do my bit which doesn't make too much sense but if the person next to me plays anything on the white notes and plays in rhythm with what I'm doing, it does make sense. And it sounds beautiful. It, it does make sense. And I do have some residents who, who just love that. They, they just sit and for two minutes or three minutes or five minutes, we'll do that. And they're amazed by mm. what is going on. And I'm amazed by what's going on. And, and we, family members are. Some family members come and say, what? I didn't know my mother could play the piano. It's a beautiful moment. And it's, a, it's a lovely engagement. Mm. And so we don't, we don't say we're musicians or we're piano players. We just say we're having fun and, and literally that's what it is. Yeah. But it's, it's a, really, a really lovely engagement. So I want to kind of bring the conversation to a, a round point. And I think for all of you listeners out there, please be open to possibility about what your brain is capable of. I mean, these are people with diagnosed dementia who have a lot of brain damage in terms of there's neural pathways that are actually unable to communicate in synapse anymore. And they are still able to learn new musical piano singing or dance skills. Like this is amazing. It really is mind blowing. And when family members come and watch this, they're like, wow, we had no idea, no idea this was possible. And so I think for those of you out there who uh, might not be musical in inverted commas, <clears throat> but, you know, you're looking for ways to explore your body, to extend your neuroplasticity, to get to know your emotions, be open to the possibility that you can learn, you can have fun, you can play. You don't need to be professional. You don't need to read notes. Um, like I'm not a dancer, but I dance. I wouldn't say I'm a professional musician, but I'm in bands and I perform and I love music. And it's just this idea of saying, I can do it. I can try. I can open up to it. And I don't care if I make a mistake. I think that's a really big part of the curiosity piece that we're all hardwired with. Oh, the curiosity is a big thing. I think mm. if you're stuck mm. and then the letting go, making a decision, what do I need to let go of? And who mm. do I need? Who, who can help me? because it, it really is a, a, a personal journey. I have done a lot of self-development just because intuitively I knew that I needed it. And you only grab the bits that you want out of yeah. things um, to help you to get to that letting go, letting go. It's really important. And whatever that means for you, some people are like, ah, don't tell me to let it go. I can't, like, what does that mm. even mean? But, you know, for some people it's an expansion. For some people it's a, it's a fullness feeling. For some people it's a feeling like there's a waterfall rushing over them and it's, it's just a, mm. it's a beautiful grounding feeling. Either way, your inner world is your inner world. This includes your sensations. It includes your symptoms. It includes your thoughts, your ideas, your dreams, your sensuality, sexuality, everything, your behavioural patterns, your belief systems. Your inner world, you are the CEO. You are the boss. You are in control. Mm. Whatever you want in your inner world, you cultivate the hell out of that. Whatever you don't want in your inner world, thank you and goodbye. Thank you and goodbye, right? 
you, you tell it to leave. You don't even ask it to leave. So this cultivating what you want, the interior design of your inner world is something nobody else can do for you. I can't emphasize this enough. You are completely in control until you learn how to craft your inner world. You can feel powerless and helpless and hopeless. And that's where, as, as mum just said, having someone to support you and guide you to take your power back and learn how to let go and learn how to clean up the space that you're living in internally in your invisible space. This is completely out of the realm of medicine. Doctors are trained in test diagnoses, all these beautiful, amazing physical investigations and medications. That's what they're great at. And that's where their expertise ends. So when it comes to your inner world, that's where you're the expert. And that's where only you can really craft what's going on in there and I know for me and possibly for mum as well you know we've put a lot of energy and effort into getting supports to teach us how to do that so you can get coaches mentors therapists anybody you trust to teach you how to become the master of your own inner world that's healing and you have to trust your intuition too and learn how to do that if you're not sure yet so that's that's a it's a skill like learning the piano, once you get a good teacher, you will learn how to do it. So listening to your body and listening to your wisdom is certainly tangible and achievable for both men and women, for both young and old. It's absolutely something that if you want to learn, you will learn, right? The minute there's that desire, you will close the gap and make sure you acquire the knowledge you need to, to build that skill up. Mm. So for those of you who are listening and want to learn more, Tune into all of my YouTube channel, the Vertigo and Tinnitus channel. Visit seekingbalance.com.au where you will find a plethora of resources. There are free resources. There are paid programs. And if you've got Vertigo or Tinnitus, I highly recommend you look at the Rocksteady 12-week recovery program. Right now I'm running a live facilitated version, which is a six-week period where we have people from all over the world meeting on a Tuesday and we have a live group call with Q&A, with insights, with challenges, people talking about their healing and recovery at a very human level. And it's so nice to have a group of peer members to go through this neuroplasticity process with. We are talking about the inner world. We're talking about self-compassion. We're talking about emotional regulation and processing, as well as all of the vestibular exercises and tinnitus rewiring <clears throat> The physical, mental, emotional and spiritual aspects of recovery are what we are really honed in at focusing on and supporting each other with. So if you want to join, get in now because the program has actually started and I only run a live program twice a year. So I'm going to keep the group open for any of you who want to join in last minute. Seekingbalance.com.au. I'm Joey Remini. Thank you so much. Kate Remini, dance therapist. Thank you, Joey. I'm very proud of my daughter. Isn't she? <laughs> She's wonderful, isn't she? <laughs> I came from. <laughs> so it's a bye for now. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you along the way. Bye.